Exodus chapter 19, the title of our message this morning, Before the Mount, Before the Mount. You know that Exodus is a journey of redemption. We have seen a people that were in sore bondage under a hard and cruel, hard-hearted taskmaster that would not let them go. And that's a picture of all of us in our state of death and trespasses and sin. We once were ruled by the prince of the power of this air, and we sat in darkness. But then our Redeemer came, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shed his blood on Mount Calvary. And there the, the head of the serpent was, was crushed by his cross and his heel was bruised. And now his people have been set free to follow him, to trust him, to come into his mountain, to serve him until he returns again. And the book of Exodus is, talks about that departure out of that that exit out of that place that they were and they're traveling with God and they're learning by the hand and the voice of God how to be a kingdom of priests, how to be a holy nation before him and to bring them into those promises that he had prepared for them. And here we are right slap in the middle of that story in Exodus chapter 19. And I invite you now to hear the word of God, beginning in verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, that same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pinched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Hallelujah. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. 
For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. You know, beloved, I studied this for about three weeks, and I never uh, recognized the beautiful uh, truth there that is represented that on the third day the Lord came down here, but on the third day he rose uh, for us. Hallelujah, right? Verse 12, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning. Can y'all imagine this? <laughs> the glory of it. What it would have been like there to witness this, to feel this, to see this. That there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou, for thou charges us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou, and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people, and spake unto them. And then in chapter 20, we are given the first declaration of the Ten Commandments of the law of God. So this was an incredible moment for the people of God and, and for Moses before the mount. Did y'all know that there are over 530 verses in the scriptures that talk about experience on mountains? I don't think that that's just coincidence. The Lord has, has used this imagery. He has used this um, geographical locations, as it were, throughout his revelation to man and his dealings with man. Uh, he, has, he has used mountains throughout biblical history. And the first thing that I, I want us to see here 
is the promise of God fulfilled, right? That Jehovah, that God proves himself to be a promise-keeping God. This is, isn't one of my main points, but it's just a side note. As we come to this place that we go back in time a little bit and we remember that when God started this whole thing with Moses, remember when Moses was drawn up to the mount and he, God spoke to him out of the burning bush, that he told Moses, he said, you're going to go and get the people out of Egypt and you're going to bring them out and you're going to worship before me on this very spot, on this very mount. It was the thing that God had promised. Just go back and take a look at it. It's, it's important for us in, in our lives to remember that God keeps his promises to us. And every time that in your life you see God keep a promise to you, it's something that you ought to treasure. It's something that you ought to highlight in your memory and in your heart. A lot of people talk about keeping prayer journals. I think that, that that's a good thing. And they write down in, in those journals when God answered certain things that, that they had uh, prayed for. No doubt, um, you know, this could be called the journal of Moses, right? Uh, chapters, I mean, uh, books one through five were written by his hand through the inspiration of the Spirit. Here in Exodus chapter three, if you'll just remember, in verse 12, he said, and he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Well, Moses had to go through a lot, didn't he? A lot of ups and downs, a lot of hills and valleys, as it were to give from the time that God made him that promise to this moment when the promise was fulfilled. But I just want this, you to see the faithfulness of Jehovah. I want you to remember it in your own life that God always keeps his promises. But before we dive into our text, let's just think a little bit about the mountains that are mentioned in Scripture and the Incredible things that happened there. Do you remember Mount Ararat? Do you remember that mountain? That was the mountain that the ark, you know, settled on. And the eight souls that survived the flood came out and saw the rainbow and saw Noah's sacrifice and how God was pleased with it. And he told them to replenish uh, the earth, Mount Ararat. I wonder if they could ever find it. And some people think that they have and have seen remnants of uh, the ark uh, still there. I still want to go. Uh, who has been to Kentucky and seen uh, Brother Jeff? A few. I, I've got to do that. Uh, they were even uh, talking about it. I thought it was so funny. I watched this um, show on the SEC network. It's called Marty and McGee. And they were talking about uh, going and seeing the Noah's Ark. And how, uh, how impressed that they were uh, by it. We think about Mount Moriah, don't we? Oh, the, the scene there where Abraham and Isaac go up together and, and God provides the ram caught in the thicket and 
Isaac is spared. And, and, and uh, Abraham says, it's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And he said, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Right? Oh, what an experience there at Mount Moriah. We think about here at Mount Sinai, this scene, I sent several of you a picture of, of biblical art, of somebody's idea of what that might have, have looked like. Beloved, a picture doesn't do it justice to think about what it must have, have been like. It was a thing that God said. Did you notice what he said? That I'm going to do such a thing so that this, these people are going to see it and hear it and it's going to cause them to believe forever, God said. Mm. How powerful was the experience at that mountain. I think about Mount Nebo and Mount Pisgah where God took Moses up right before Moses would die at the end of his life. It's kind of like Moses' last mountain, right? <laughs> Moses was definitely a man of the mountain. And uh, there he viewed uh, Canaan's land. He viewed of all that God had promised. And God told him, look, you're not going to go there. But my people are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see them into the land of promise. Oh, who can forget Mount Carmel? And the battle there, right? The battle of the gods. Is Baal God or is Jehovah God? And who is the God that answered by fire? Jehovah God. Baal had gone off on a journey or had fallen asleep, right? No matter how many of his priests there were, how they cut themselves or, or yelled, there was no answer from Baal. But God looked up the water that was even around Elijah. Elijah said, uh, soak it. Build a trough around it. Fill it with water. And prepare the altar of the Lord. And God answered by fire there. On Mount Carmel. And then we think about Mount Zion. The city of our God. Where God blessed the temple. Uh, to be built. And, and the great hymns. And the great psalms written about it. And the great picture that it is. Of the church. And mentioned. And we'll go to it. We've got to go to Hebrews. Right. And see the two mounts. Uh, compared. And uh, how much greater a mount that we've been given than this mount that they were given. And we rejoice in that. But you know, the one that I love the most is on Golgotha's hill. The one that was lowest in elevation, but beloved, it overshadowed them all, right? And that's Mount Calvary, where Jesus accomplished and obtained eternal redemption. For us, that's the greatest mountain of all. Oh, beloved, let us come today before the mount. Here they are. It says that they were brought to the nether part of the mount. That means they were brought to the bottom of the mount. Now, only Aaron and Moses were allowed to go up into the mount. So holy was, was God. And there is a reason why that the people were not allowed to go up into it in contrast to you and I who are welcomed up into the mountain of God today. 
And beloved, it was because that the blood of Christ had not been shed yet. The blood of animals and goats could not do what the blood of Christ has done for us. What a, what a great blessing and privilege and rights that we have been given in the New Testament day and in the age of grace and how we ought to rejoice and praise God and be thankful for that so much. But here they were in verse 2, it says that they camped before the mount. This is interesting. Here, number one, this is our first thought. Israel would learn the reasons for their redemption. And it's something that all of us should learn and are learning. And that all of us should know why was Israel chosen? Why were the sons of Jacob uh, the ones that God decided to uh, use the Passover lamb's blood to be spared from the death angel? Why did he decide to guide them by his glory? Why did he decide it was, it was that group that was going to be uh, given Canaan's land? What were the reasons they were brought out? What, were, what was the method that God used to redeem them? That's so important, isn't it? We see in redemption, in salvation here, in this picture, in Exodus 19, that in order for redemption to occur, in order for salvation to be experienced, God must come down to us. And we must be brought up to God. It's the only way that it can take place. Oh, beloved, man has it wrong. He thinks that God just comes halfway and he comes halfway. Well, the truth is, is that God has to come all the way and bring us the rest of the way. <laughs> can I get an Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Let's go uh, to Moses' other writings in the book of Deuteronomy. What were the reasons that God redeemed Israel? Why does he say that you're going to be a peculiar treasure to me above all the peoples on the earth? Why has God chosen some and not others? Mm, what a wonderful an awesome thing to consider. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, Moses would put it like this, beginning in verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are on the face of the earth. Now what we have to understand is that there is a natural election that God in his providence determined uh, to do in the earth with the natural descendants of Abraham. But it was to be a picture of his sovereign electing uh, choice of his people uh, for eternal redemption as well. What is spoken of them here naturally is true of all of us spiritually who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith. Thou art the holy people. Now, 
Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, but ye were the fewest of all people. As a matter of fact, another place the Lord talks about the nativity, he, he says, you actually came out of idolatry. I think your father, your mother was a Hittite and, and your father was something else. I can't, I can't remember when he was... Right. He said, uh, it wasn't your lineage that I fell in love with, why I chose you, why the reason that you are redeemed. No. But because the Lord loved you, you want to know why you're elect or not? It's because of the love of God. The sovereign, eternal love of God. He chose us and loved, and He loved us for that choice. He loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, there's the promise keeping of God. Hath the Lord brought you out? What are the re reasons for redemption? And with a mighty hand hath redeemed you out of the house of the bondmen and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he goes on there. But I think that that, that shows us the, the key to the reasons for our redemption. It wasn't because... Israel gathered themselves up by their bootstraps and decided that they wanted to be free, that they wanted to serve God. And so uh, they collectively together um, through their collective will and reasoning and power got themselves free and decided to start following God. Is that the way that the story took place? No. Bless their hearts. They balked all on the way, didn't they? That mighty hand, that mighty sovereign hand. He said, you want to know the reason that you're redeemed, you sons of Jacob, you children of Israel? It's because why? He says, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Isn't this powerful that we see in this chapter that redemption is just not only about a saving from, but it is a saving to as well. And we see that Israel will be here. This is amazing. Israel will be here before Sinai for 11 months now. And this is going to be such an important event and such an important time that the Holy Spirit is going to dedicate all the rest of the book of Exodus to this spot, all of the book of Leviticus, to this spot, and then all the way through the book of Numbers to chapter 10, to this spot. So is this a big deal today that they've come and that they have come before the mount of God, that, that God fulfilled that promise to Moses, and now they're here, and he said, I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to show you the reasons for which you were redeemed it wasn't by chance it wasn't because of your righteousness or your good works but here they would learn and we learn our identity so the world wants to uh, put their identity on us don't they but we need to get our identity from God the world saw uh, the uh, children of Israel and the sons of Jacob as escaped slaves. 
they saw them as wanderers, as, as nomads, as people without a cause, without a country. But that's not the way God viewed them. And here, beloved, we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth, but as been said today and has been sung about, we have a home. Ah, we have a heavenly country and citizenship that we are longing for, and we here in the earth are just like Israel of old. God says, you're a special treasure. You're a peculiar treasure to me above all the peoples that are on the earth. But he reminds them, even in his identifying of them, did you notice that? That he calls them two different things. Look in verse 3. Here they are before the mount, and Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall ye say to the house of who? Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Here is the beauty and the spectrum of redemption, right? And Jacob, what does his name mean? Hill grabber, right? Supplanter, trickster. He, this, is what, this is what you were in the flesh. And, and by, by nature, you were Jacob. But God, through his work, through his grace, through his redemption in your life, he has changed you. And you have become Israel, which means prince with God. That's why he said, you're not just a nation of slaves. You're not just nomads running around in the desert. You weren't redeemed for just some pie in the sky. No, he said, I have chosen you. I have redeemed you with this mighty hand. You've seen what I did to your enemies. I did it, God said, right? Who has defeated Satan for us? Jesus. Who has paid for all of our sins? Was it any of our good works? Was it any of our tears? Was it any of our righteousness that paid for one sin? Or was it the blood of the Lamb? And of Jesus that paid the price. And that is why we are redeemed. Who in here has been bore up on eagles' wings? Anyone that has known the salvation of the Lord. You have seen these same things. You have seen God deal with your enemies and then bear you up. And he said that I bore you up on eagles' wings. And this is the reason for redemption. And I have brought you. Not so that you could live your best life and every day could be a Friday, right, Brother Ed? But I brought you to myself. That is the purpose of redemption is that we might know and experience and live and love God in the face of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you've been saved from Jacob to Israel. God said you're going to learn your identity here before the mount that you... Isn't this awesome? Are a special treasure to God. That's so amazing. How could these sinful, complaining, unbelieving, failing, falling people be the peculiar treasure and the special treasure of God? It's because the grace of God was upon them. Because He chose it to be so. And so it is for us as well. It's a humbling thing, isn't it? And so it should be when we learn the reasons for our redemption. 
how that on eagles' wings God has delivered you and I from a nature that only knew to do evil, that only knew to do bad. And he, on eagles' wings, delivered us from that to being actually able to do good and to be used by God to accomplish God's will in the earth. Oh, how mighty, how gracious, how amazing is our God and our Redeemer. And we see this before the mount, the great reasons for our redemption. I have been delivered from something, but also to something. Hallelujah. I've been changed from Jacob to Israel. I've been saved from being a slave to sin to a servant of righteousness, from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, from something and to something and to someone. Hallelujah. He would bring us to himself. If you have not come that way, then you have not been redeemed. Here, secondly, Israel not only would learn the reasons for their redemption, Israel would accept the responsibilities of the redeemed. God said, it's a wonderful thing that I've done for you. How that I saved you from this bondage. How I saved you from a people who didn't have a country, who didn't have a home, who couldn't even worship freely. It's a wonderful thing that I have brought you out of that and how that I've fed you and I've given you water to drink. I destroyed your enemies uh, before you. Uh, how he fed them with manna. Brought water from the rock. But God said, I, I did all of this for a reason. It's so that you might learn how to be the people of God. To be what I have redeemed and called you to be. Which was a kingdom of priests, he said. And a holy nation before him and here Israel would learn to accept the responsibilities of the redeemed beloved always remember that the scripture says to whom much is given much is required oh we we need to take heed to that today I love uh, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as as we think about this the responsibilities of of the redeemed and we think about what is fiction to come out of the mount from God? This law of God, the decrees of God written upon stone. This that the scripture teaches us is a great two-way mirror in which we see the holiness of God and we see the sinfulness of man. This which would be a schoolmaster to, to drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly, this was a seminal moment in the history of redemption. And I love how that Christ comes back to this in his own ministry. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. And we see them even asking the Lord an important question. To whom much is given, much is required, right? 
And so they're here and, and they're talking with the Lord here in Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And I want to look at verse 36. Well, we need to get verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying. Now we're talking about the we're talking about the responsibilities of the redeemed, right? Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus does something very beautiful, doesn't he? Doesn't he here? Because basically what he says is all the law is important. All of the law is important. Because the first four commandments, beloved, they teach us our duty to God. And the last six teach us our duty to man. If we are a holy nation, the Ten Commandments, as it were, is our constitution. And then the Sermon on the Mount are our Bill of Rights. So beautiful here what Jesus does. He encapsulates them all. Jesus said, here are the responsibilities of the redeemed. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So I ask you today who believe you are the redeemed of God. Is that true of your life? Is that true of your soul? Is that true of your heart? That above all things, in every way, you love God. Oh, hallelujah then. You'll love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. If that's true, Jesus said this is the first and the great commandment. If you don't get that right, nothing else will be right. That means if you do that way, you're never going to worship another God. You're never going to make for yourself a graven image. If you feel this way, you're never going to take the name of the Lord in vain. You're always going to honor His holy day because you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then He said, The second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How beautiful. What a great teacher Jesus was, right? He just encapsulates it there for us. Now, if you love your neighbor, are you going to murder him? If, if you love your neighbor, are you going to dishonor your parents? No, because they're your neighbor too. If you love your neighbor, are you going to commit adultery against your neighbor? No. Are you going to steal from them? All those things? No. And it all stems the reason why I love my neighbor is because I love God. And out of the love of God and God's love to me, I love my neighbor. And these are the duties of the redeemed. What, but Brother Nathan, I thought the law was all about do this and don't know, do that. No, the law is about loving God and loving others. That's all the law is about. Loving God with everything and loving others. This is the duty of the redeemed. He, he said, you're going to be, in our passage here, he said, you're going to be a kingdom of 
priest. Now, he would call out a specific family, the Levites, even among this nation to uh, be priest unto the Lord in a special way. But, but God meant for all of his people, the whole nation, to be priest unto him. Amen? And a holy nation for him. Now, what do priests do? Priests proclaim God's word. They intercede for others. And then they set the example of what it is to love God and to love your neighbor. Well, I want you to know every one of you are a kingdom priest unto God. And this is part of your duties as the redeemed of God. It is what Israel of old said, all that the Lord said, we will do. And that pleased the Lord, actually, that they said that. Now, he knew their hearts, and he knows ours. The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak, and so how much we need more? We need Christ and the Holy Spirit, right? And so he says that I want you to be a people in the world. And the reason I've redeemed you and I've bore you up on eagle's wings and that I chose you and I destroyed your enemies and I'm feeding you and I'm clothing you and I'm guiding you and I'm promised and I've made promises of something far, far better than you've ever known is because I want you to serve me in the earth. And this is the way that I want you to serve me as a priest, as someone who is constantly with their lips and with their lives proclaiming God's word to others. I was watching a video this week. It grieved my soul. It grieved my soul. It was a young person, a young girl, I guess, in her 20s. Sister Haley, you'll appreciate this. And I guess that she was trying to become uh, a comedian, right? And so her whole spiel was uh, kind of like her, her monologue or, or whatever they call um, the things that comedians do, <laughs> I forget, was that she used to be a Christian. And she starts off and she says, well, the hardest thing always about being a Christian for me was, was understanding that I was better than everybody else and that I had all the answers. I, I don't know who taught that young lady what it was to be a Christian. But I thought to myself, well, that's exactly the opposite of what a real Christian is. A, a real Christian actually believes I'm not better than anybody. Apostle Paul, the greatest of us all, said, I'm the chief of sinners that's been saved by the sweet grace of God. <coughs> no Christian I know says, I've got all the answers. But we believe that God does have all the answers. So definitely this young lady was so misguided in her mind and in her heart. And so beloved, in every area of life, God says, you're to be a holy nation. In every area of life, God saw to it that his people, the Jews, were distinct. They were separate and they were different. 
And he did this in a variety of ways. He did this in their dress. He did this in their diet. He did this in the manner in which they worshipped, in the manner in which they carried out the week and the days of the weeks of their lives. God got down to the nitty-gritty, didn't he? And he said in every way, I, my purpose of redeeming you and your responsibility as a redeemed is to be distinct from this world, to be separate from this world, to be different from this world. Now, some people really draw back from that because they want to be accepted by the world. They want to be liked by others. They want to fit in. Well, let me tell you, if you're really loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving your neighbor as, as yourself, it's never going to be the case in your life. A holy nation. Say, so, Brother Nathan, how do you know that, that that God said in Exodus applies to us now in our day? Well, everybody knows where I'm going, right? First Peter, right? First Peter said, I'm writing this to the elect. I'm writing this book to the elect, to strangers that are scattered out this New Testament age. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, look at what he says. This is amazing. Beginning in verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of God, praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God knew that He was fixing to place Israel as He is also placing us in the midst, let me tell you about Canaan. Canaan was a cesspool of immorality and idolatry. It was. Brother Jeff told us about some of the practices that, that was, was in that land. And it was part of the reason God was going to use Israel to completely remove some of those nations from off the face of the earth. But you and I also, elect, redeemed, are also placed. Is that not what we're in the midst of? A cesspool of immorality and idolatry? And so it behooves us, as we stand before the mountain, we see the reasons for our redemption, that we also accept the responsibilities of the redeemed that you and I have been called to a special life because we're God's special people by grace and mercy alone. You've been called to a special life. You've been called to stand and worship and walk and work in the grace of God. Oh, beloved. I pray that all of us would accept that responsibility and try to carry it out as much as within us is. We know 
that in a large part, Israel of old failed in the promises that they made to God. And God bore with them, and he bore with them for so long, through so many centuries, did he bear with them until their rejection of his son, and then he would not bear with them anymore, but he cut them off that you and I might be grafted in. But I believe one day, at the end of days, we will see Israel and Jacob return when they say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I believe they'll be grafted back in in a mighty way. One day, such is the faithfulness of God. But here at the mount, there's a third thing that I want us to consider this morning. Israel would, would, would learn and view how to reverence the Redeemer. There was a great reverence, even though God had come down, even though he was going to speak to them, even though that he was going to draw them to himself and all these privileges and promise. He said there's still a distinction between you and I. There's still a barrier that's going to exist between you and I, and you've got to show proper reverence and respect for who I am. Remember in Psalm 89, beloved, as we were studying that, just turn there again and remember verse 7 in your heart again. Psalm 89, verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. We remember we looked at particularly four things. He said, you've got to reverence my name. Holy and reverend is what? His name. Please, nobody here ever called me reverend. <laughs> His house. He said, you, you've got to reverence my house. You've got to reverence my son. His son must be reverenced. And then in our service to God, God must be reverenced. God came down so that we could, the scripture says it specifically, God came down and Christ came down as well so that we could see, so that we could hear. But the main thing and the crux of it says, sister, that you would believe. Right? Is that not what he said? I'm coming down, he said, so that the people can see, so that they can hear, and that they can believe forever. Look in verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee. And what? Believe thee. For how long? For forever. That's why God has come down. That is why that the gospel is going forth from this place today so that you may see and hear and believe. And the greatest thing to consider of all is that if God said don't refuse Moses when he spoke he said how much more then should you reverence and how much more should you hear Christ since he has spoken right God in sundry moments through divers manners and the prophets spoken to us but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son I just want to pick up a thought 
uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. You know, the more that we go through Exodus, the more I'm understanding the book of Hebrews. Amen. <laughs> because so much is, is pulled out of there and referenced from that story. And so as we think about the reverence that we should have for the Redeemer, the reverence that the Jews showed uh, to Moses was unparalleled among the prophets because he spoke with God face to face. He gave them the words of God. If the people there said to Moses when he spoke to them the words that God had given to him, all that you have said we will do, how much more those of us who have heard the voice of the Son of God and he has said, follow me and obey me and serve me, how much more we ought to obey him. Because the, the greatest question of all is not what is the greatest commandment and are you following them and doing them. The greatest question and the question that Jesus put to the people of his day the most is what think ye of Christ? And whose son is he? And who do men say that I am? Mm, Hebrews 12 and 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape. If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, beloved, we are to be sanctified. Uh, there's, there's so much things in that chapter, right? Right? As, as they get prepared to do what God had redeemed them to do, right? You and I read it. He said, be ready, right? Are we to be ready? Every day, right? Did, did he tell them to be sanctified? Are we to be sanctified? Yes. He told them to humble and prostrate themselves before him as a holy God. Should we also be that people? We told them to tremble. And they trembled in his presence. Well, that is the same posture as we stand in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. And realize that God and the things of God, they must be handled with holy care. There's two great differences, like we said, in the mouth. And now, fourthly and lastly, we, the new Israel, we must appreciate what has been removed and what has remained. And the writers of Hebrew, writer of Hebrews does this so beautifully for us. And this is where we'll close. And in our remarks today in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. As we consider these two mounts. Because, hallelujah, you and I have not come to Mount Zion. I mean, to Mount Sinai. Amen? We, we, have not, we don't have that border of separation. You and I, as children of the day of grace, have been have been invited right up into the mount with God. We pass through the outer gate with no one questioning in us where that we belong or not. We go through and there's 
no veil that separates the holiest of holies, but we come right into it with boldness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So what separated and what made the difference in Sinai and now for us, Mount Zion, is the blood that had been offered. There, only the blood of bulls and goats and lambs had been shed. But now, Christ's blood has been shed a new and living way. The major difference here is the shed blood of Christ. Well, let's look at this. In Hebrews chapter 12, and we just rejoice in this. And so he says about some things that have been removed and some things that have been remained. He compares Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Well, let's also compare what we experienced. There they experienced fear and terror, and so they should have. But we have known God in love and forgiveness. Can you say hallelujah? That you've known God in that way. A loving and forgiving God. There they experienced something that was earthly. But you and I have experienced something that is spiritual and heavenly. There they were guilty men in fear. Here today we are just men and women that have been made perfect. There was barriers and exclusion. Today we have invitation and acceptance from a condemning law to an abounding grace from a desert to the city of the living God. Oh, no wonder, beloved, the writer of Hebrews would say that we've been given something that is far uh, preeminent and superior to what the Old Testament saints had. And so we read this and we rejoice. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burn with fire, not unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceeding fear and quake. And do you remember, even beloved, it was such a thing when Moses came down on the mount that they had to put a veil over him because he shined such with the Shekinah glory of God that they couldn't even look upon him. But now, listen, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And here's the difference. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So, beloved, what an incredible moment here. What a seminal moment in the history of redemption. God comes down and His people view and hear Him before the mount. He tells them, 
These are the reasons why you were redeemed. They accept the responsibilities of being the redeemed. They learn the reverence that they're to have for the Redeemer. But then God blesses us who have been brought to a new mount to look back and rejoice at the things that have been removed. And praise Him for everything that remains. May the Lord bless you and keep you.